Good day, beautiful people. Thanks for all your continued support of Kiko's Freethinkers Forum. We've reached so many people around the world and domestically, and I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Please subscribe to Kiko's Freethinkers Forum on our official YouTube channel. We have all of our video archives located there. This will remain a free service with no paywalls, but we encourage everyone to subscribe to Kiko's Freethinkers Forum on the YouTube channel. We will keep the podcasting platform, the audio version, but we're going to make a transition and emphasize more the video component per request of all the beautiful people out there listening and viewing our content. So again, tell interested friends and family, subscribe, and remember, you can't unthink free thought. Good morning, beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. This is episode 59, and we're joined by a repeat guest. His name is Brian Tui, and he's the author of several books. And I recommend you all, you all go buy those books. Um, the Fix is In, The Fix is Still In, which is um, kind of the context of our last conversation. And it will more than likely be the context of this conversation that we have today. Uh, Government Disaster. He also published um, A Season in Abyss. He's got a lot of different publications through on Bleacher Report. I believe he's published for Sports Illustrated before. But I just want to say welcome to the show, Brian, and I appreciate your acceptance of our invitation again. Oh, no problem. Happy to be back. Yes, and for listeners, go back to episode 29. Um, That was the first interview that I did with Brian, and that was very enjoyable. And I'm not doubting at all that this is going to be just as enjoyable, this episode 59. Um, I wanted to start something out a little bit differently because Brian and I had talked about what we may want to discuss today, but you all know how I am. I like to, you know, open the door, you know, let people in, you know, we sit around, drink our coffee and stuff. But um, before we get into some of what we want to discuss today, which is a, quite a few topics in the sports world, I want to get a quick advertisement and say that thanks um, to all the listeners and viewers. I really appreciate your support. Um, the only thing I ask, I don't ask for your money. All I ask is to subscribe um, on Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum on YouTube. And if you like the videos, like the videos. It, it's only going to help the, the algorithm. It's going to help smaller channels like myself, which are growing. But um, that's all I ask. Well, I don't want money for this. I really want information and people to take what they want with that information and apply it to their daily lives, whether it's entertainment or, um, you know, we talk about serious stuff on this pod as well. So it's not just lighthearted stuff. It's also very serious um, social um, issue-based um, areas as well. But I want to ask Brian, can you share with the audience what this CIA appeal letter was about? I was intrigued just looking at some of that. And that kind of goes into your government disaster book. Um you touch a lot on um, government policy and stuff, you know, on quite a few of your books. And so I was just curious um, what that was about, this CIA appeal that lasted for two years. Uh, well, it's a long way around it. Um, I've, I've filed a lot of Freedom of Information Act requests over the years. Um, my whole book called Larceny Games is based off of all these FBI files that I obtained through the Freedom of Information Act that no one had ever accessed before. And it was all related to sports and what they call sports bribery, which is the federal crime of trying to influence the outcome of a sporting event, whether it's basketball game, football game, horse race, boxing event, what have you. And actually in doing so, I wound up on an FBI like watch list, 
with about 30 other people. It's actually had the list too, which is kind of funny. So, I mean, I'm literally named and I actually knew two of the other people who were named on the list with me. So, because they had helped me out in my quest to get this information out. But in regards to the CIA letter, one of the first times I was on uh, the show Coast to Coast AM promoting my book, The Fix is In, which was, gosh, this has to be 10 years ago now. Um, a gentleman emailed me and he asked me if I knew anything about the 1972 Olympic basketball game, the gold medal game played between Team USA and Team USSR in the Olympics. And I said, well, you know, I'd heard about it and I knew there's a controversial ending. And he emailed me back and he said he worked for the CIA. And he said that the CIA knew that the KGB had actually kidnapped one of the uh, referees' families and basically threatened to kill them if the Russians didn't win this basketball game. And he says this explains why the ending was so crazy because basically Team Russia had, I think, three chances to score the game-winning basket, which they eventually did on the third and final try. And to this day, actually, Team USA refused to accept their silver medals because they felt they were cheated in that game. So because that information, I decided to try to get it out of the CIA. So over the years, and this again, this goes back almost 10 years, I've been trying to get this information out of the CIA. And despite it being a 50-year-old basketball game now, the CIA refuses to admit whether it even has files. It gives me the, it's like, it gives me that classic line that you think was, you know, made up for the movies, but they literally have told me a couple of times they can neither confirm nor deny anything exists in relation to the subject matter. And so they finally had closed it and I filed this appeal. And I basically, I thought I laid out a really good argument because I did some research and talked to a couple of people about how to appeal the CIA. Because again, this is related to a basketball game, mm-hmm. you know, and I wasn't really seeking out. I just wanted to see if they had information. I really didn't care what it said. And they denied my appeal still. So after 10 years of searching, I, I think I've kind of hit a dead end with it, unfortunately, but it's kind of interesting to think that they knew stuff and they know stuff about a basketball game that to this day is still semi-controversial and the CIA just won't release the information. So yeah, this is no exception to other non-sports related issues. So, but it's just, it's amazing that they're that confidential about something like a basketball game. Yeah, It's crazy. Cause even the FBI, when I obtained some of the stuff from them, I mean, it was so redacted and it's interesting because, you know, you always see where it's like the lines are all blacked out. Well, they don't black out lines anymore. They actually, I think they, with a computer, they kind of delete them. So there's like white boxes where things used to be. And I received some FBI files from them about a sporting event that were so redacted. And I mean, it'd be something from like 1968, but it'd be so redacted. I literally couldn't say whether it was a basketball game, whether it was a football game. I mean, it was just... I couldn't make heads or tails out of these files. And some of the files, you know, would literally have, they'd send me pages that the entire page was like blacked out. Mm. And I was like, you know, again, this is, you know, an NFL game from 1973. Who cares? What, <laughs> what could be that important that you guys won't release this information, but that's the way it would roll sometimes. Well, I think that's an appropriate, I want to get that out because um, it kind of goes into a larger topic of, um, and your site itself says um, um, the number one or the leading sports skeptic or whatever. You don't claim to say that everything is just fixed, but no. you definitely um, you tend to lean towards there's definitely something going on, you know. But 
if there's something that you can't confirm, you're not just going to say it without having the evidence. No, and I mean, I, I do do it. Like on Twitter, I'll say some stuff that is really kind of, you know, far out and what have you. But I mean, I, part of my goal is really to get sports fans to think, you know, and not just accept what's being given to them. Because again, there's a lot of times I'm sure, because I, I tend to do a weekly review of the NFL and I'll say, oh, this game looks shady, this game looks shady and what have you. And I don't think all those games are necessarily fixed or manipulated, but I think it's something that if you don't look at it with a skeptical eye, then you'll never see it at all. So, you know, I may list, you know, a hundred games that I think were shady, but in reality, even if just one was fixed, if just one out of the hundred was actually manipulated by the league, well, that's enough to destroy their integrity and prove my entire point. So sometimes, you know, you have to throw enough stuff against the wall to see what sticks. But I mean, in my books, what I really tried to do is present the evidence as clearly and as concisely and as factually based as I could. And basically, you know, have show like, you know, point A is true, point B is true, point C is true. Well, doesn't that then equate to point D, which is what I'm trying to make. So I tried to lay out the evidence as clearly as I can in those situations because, yeah, I don't want to be just seen as some sort of crazy conspiracy theorist because that's what I, I don't think I am. But what I think I am is I'm skeptical of the leagues and I'm not going to buy what the leagues are selling me because they're out to make money. That's why they exist. They don't put the games on for free. You know, they put it on to make money and that's their goal. So I think somebody needs to, you know, have a skeptical eye looking at this stuff and not just let them go for what it is. So what would you say to people um, based on one of your earliest tweets this year before the NFL started? When you say things like the first official presentation of the National Football League, what do you mean by that to someone who may not understand what sports is about? Well, I mean, when you think about it, if you watch an NFL game, each game is bookended with that statement. You know, the pre you know, the following is a presentation of the National Football League. And then it ends with the preceding had been a presentation of the National Football League, which means the National Football League basically owns that broadcast you just watched. It's and it's a presentation. And what does that, it's a loaded word, presentation. What does exactly that mean? That doesn't mean it was just a legit sporting event. And the main point I try to get across to people is, look, and all the research I've done, and I've been doing this for over 15 years, probably actually going on 20 years because I started researching it before my first book came out. Um, I've talked to FBI agents. I've talked to lawyers. I've talked to police officers. There is no law that exists that prevents a league like the NFL from fixing the outcome or manipulating the outcome of one of its own games. So because they completely own it and control it, if they want to make sure like the Patriots win this game and the bears lose this game, they can do it. They can do it legally. And you as a fan have no recourse. And that's why they bookend those broadcasts with that statement that this is a presentation because that is makes it basically like professional wrestling. And it's the exact same laws and everything that govern professional wrestling, govern the NBA, govern the NFL, govern Major League Baseball. They're entertainment. They're disguised as sport, but they are, in fact, entertainment. So because it's entertainment, a lot of things are up to, you know, speculation. A lot of things are just could be willy nilly and the league can control it if it really wants to. Yeah, Um I was thinking about you, too, before you even posted it. I know you watched that game, the Monday night football game with the Jets and the Bills oh, uh, yeah. on 9-11. I, it just, it's like the stars aligned, you know. A-Rod went down, got hurt, his Achilles, towards Achilles or whatever, and 
and with the chances of them winning that game against one of the better teams, another team that was in a controversy last year with the DeMar Hamlin situation, yep. I mean, died on national TV. They had to revive him. And then you have the same team involved, one of the up-and-coming good teams that loses to a guy that got benched because they brought in a Hall of Famer in yeah. Aaron Rodgers. And what's the chances of them winning that game and then they get blown out by the Cowboys the following week? I mean, do, do people not see that this doesn't make sense? Well, and, you know, that's the thing. And that's, you know, like the NFL for decades have been trying to get across this idea of what they call parity, which means that basically on any given Sunday, any team can beat any other team, which, I mean, they're all professional athletes. They're all professional players. I'll get paid to do this. That kind of falls into place, you know, that, okay, that's possible. But, I mean, let's be honest. We know certain teams are really good. Certain teams are really bad. Like the Arizona Cardinals are really bad. Chicago Bears are really bad certain teams are not good and other teams are very good and you know this parody thing only holds so much water but yet so often on these especially primetime games it seems like so many times you have a thursday night game a sunday night game a monday night game where some really weird things happen and whether it's an individual player like you know in that bills um jets game you know you could look at josh allen and say well geez he threw three really bad interceptions he fumbled when he ran into one of his own players and lost the ball. And all those turnovers kept the Jets into the game, allowed him to win that game basically because of his poor play. Now, does that mean he tanked the game? I don't know, but I don't think you can necessarily 100% rule that out as being a possibility because, again, he could do so. The NFL could kind of order them to. They could say, hey, you do this for us. We'll do this for you down the line. Who's to say that some sort of deal wasn't made? But the fact is, that is a po very real possibility. And for people to just completely discount it and throw it out and say, oh, well, he just had a bad game, maybe it's true. But, you know, there's that 1% that says, well, maybe there's more to it than just having a, quote, bad game. Maybe that, you know, referee didn't make just a bad call. Maybe he intentionally made a bad call, which is a totally different thing. And so that's the thing. And so many times, like you say, in these primetime games, you see something weird happen. Even the game last night between the Patriots and uh, – Who'd they play? Um, the Dolphins. The Dolphins. The Dolphins were killing them. And yet somehow, you know, two through a bad interception, it just kept the Patriots into the game long enough. So it was interesting into the final two minutes of the game, which keep people tuned in. And that's what the NFL and all these leagues are about. They're about making money. They're about putting on a good show. And the broadcast partners who are literally investing billions of dollars into this league want to get something for their money. They don't want games like that Cowboy Jet game to be a complete blowout. You know, they don't want the, you know, Cowboys to blow up the Giants every time like that on Monday Night Football. They want people to stay tuned in as long as possible. So sometimes I think tweaks are made, not necessarily to say who's going to win or lose, but just enough tweaks are made to keep a game interesting to the very end to keep people watching. And sometimes maybe that does flip the outcome of a game, but sometimes it doesn't. It just makes it, you know, consumable until the very end. And that goes a lot into what you were saying about how much uh, TV revenue and this ad money comes in because you, marketing one-on-one, -on -one, that's common sense. If any kind of spectacle that you're putting on, if it's closer, more eyes are going to be watching it, especially people who are already invested in the sport. But even casual sports fans are going to be like, oh, wow, this is a good game. You know, yeah, my exactly. wife does that a lot. When there's a game on, she's like, oh, wow, that's actually a really good game. I'm interested, even though I don't care about football. Yeah. She calls it men uh, playing with balls and tights. <laughs> 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 and so 
but she will watch it, you know, if it's a closed game, which kind of goes into that um whole idea, you know, of um, you know, keeping people tuned in. But I think this goes into the gambling thing too, because the prop bet markets are really becoming the thing now to mm-hmm. where you can't you don't even have to just bet on the spreads, but you can bet on the team total amount of points someone scores. You can bet on a certain player, um, how many touchdowns they get or whatever. And I noticed that a lot of these bookmakers, they do this special um, player. Like, I think they had Justin Herbert last year. He had to throw one touchdown, which you think that would be so doable. And the odds was like plus 100. So you get double your money if you if he throws one touchdown past the whole game. Guess what happens? He doesn't do it. And then Justin Fields had one last year where the Bears had to get two touchdowns the whole game against the Packers. And I don't know if you recall this because you're um, in Chicago now. I think you're from Chicago from what we said the last episode. But remember that play when Justin Fields, I think they had initially called it maybe a touchdown, but he was right on the goal line, and they kept showing the replay. And that would have been the second touchdown if you would have bet on that prop for him to get two touchdowns of the team. And so that stuff, I just don't think it's coincidental for it to be that much of a gray area each time in these um, promotions even. Uh, I think it's multifaceted with the sponsorships of the gambling companies. And then you have all the stuff you just mentioned. So they're making money in lots of different ways. Well, the gambling thing is really, it's a, it's a tricky area because, you know, you think about, you know, and I did a lot of research with this um, a while ago, you know, for decades, literally decades, the NFL was completely anti-gambling. I mean, they were completely 100% against it. They wanted nothing to do with it. They were vocal about it. But yet, I mean, interestingly, at the same time, in these FBI files that I obtained, the FBI knew that the NFL was actually contacting local bookmakers in every city that they had a franchise and were tracking the betting lines. So at the same time for the NFL being anti-gambling to be tracking that is kind of interesting because they were dealing with literal criminals to get this information because bookmaking was illegal. So as soon as, you know, New Jersey fought and got it, the law changed that had, they allowed Nevada to have this, you know, monopoly over sports gambling and then New Jersey allowed it to have you know their own sports gambling that opened it up basically for every state in the nation which I think is correct I think that's the way it should be but as soon as that happened the NFL the NBA all the leagues suddenly did a complete 180 and said we're on board with gambling we're 100% behind it because they realize gambling fans are engaged fans and they know people are going to watch the worst game between the two worst teams possible because they're going to be betting on it and what has become, thanks to technology, like you said, is it's now no longer just who wins or loses the game or how many points are scored in the game. You can literally bet, like in baseball, almost on every pitch. You can bet on every little event that happens within the sport, which even keeps people more and more engaged because literally then every play matters. And that's a big win for the leagues because, again, even though a lot of, like I say, primetime games seem to be closer than they should be, it makes people who are gambling involved into every game to the very end because they can keep betting to the very end, to the end of the game. And they can even do in-game bets on who wins and loses. I mean, it opens up a whole new slew of fans and watchers for these leagues, and they're going to benefit for it. That's why they they openly back it. 
but it's also a double-edged sword because you're going to run into trouble really soon. I mean, they know like worldwide, we know soccer matches has been fixed. Tennis matches have been fixed. Rugby matches have been fixed. Cricket matches have been fixed. I mean, all over the world, supposedly it never happens here in the United States. But one of the biggest things that they've discovered in investigating these match fixing things from around the world is like in tennis, they'll pay a player to fix a specific game in a specific set. So they'll like say, hey, we want you to lose, you know, game two of set two. We don't care if you win or lose the match entirely. Just blow that game. We'll bet heavily on that game. We'll clean up. You'll get a cut. And nobody will know. And that's actually happened several times, although they've been way too greedy where people are betting $100 a game and all of a sudden are betting $10,000 on one specific game, then go back to a $100 game. So they make it a little too obvious. But <laughs> the fact is, is, you know, they'll, you know, fix who gets a yellow card in a soccer match. You know, they'll fix just like one little thing within the game that they can bet and clean up on because they know they got a guaranteed winner. And to think that that can't happen here is crazy. Because, I mean, it could come down to, you know, who gets the first penalty in a football game or who, you know, strikes out the first time or what have you in a baseball game. You can fix those in-game incidents very easily and it's very undetectable and yet it's no longer legitimate. Those are excellent points. And um, it really, people will probably see it as like, this is like overcomplicating things. <laughs> but I think it's I think it goes into something you said earlier. It's got it, and that's the reason why I call this podcast Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. It makes people have to think too much, I think. And when they associate it with sports, they see it as it shouldn't be that complicated, right? There's not that much <laughs> manipulation going in, right? But these things are, are are evidence now because like you said, you can literally be engaged in every part of the game and there's a, a moneyed interest somewhere. Well, I think, and part of the issue too is, you know, you think about sports, you know, it's all played by young men for the most part. So, I mean, you have a bunch of 20 year olds doing this, right? So I think, especially even at the college level, because you can do these sorts of bets in college basketball and college football too. Who's to say, and I'm not blaming anybody in specific, but I mean, who's to say some quarterback from some team doesn't have a roommate who's like, hey, dude, you know, let's make a couple extra hundred bucks this weekend. How about, you know, you guys are going to destroy whoever we're playing this weekend. How about, you know, we do a couple of these in-game bets. You make sure this happens or you make sure that happens and we'll make a few hundred bucks and then we'll go out to the, you know, bars later and blow it all, you know, whatever. And who's to say that doesn't happen or at the pro level, it's the same thing. Who's to say, you know, they don't have, somebody doesn't have a cousin and the cousin says, Hey, look, you know, we can make a couple grand, but because you can bet online, you can bet on your phone or a lot of places you could go in person either way, but nobody knows I'm your cousin you tell me what's going to happen. I'll go bet it. We'll make sure it happens. And, you know, maybe we make an extra 10, 20 grand this weekend, just on one game. Again, in some meaningless events that occur within the game that doesn't necessarily affect the outcome, but for betting it, it's a huge win. It's something you said, Dan, we will transition to some of the topics at hand, but we are touching those topics indirectly, but something you said there, I don't know if you've watched this, but, after the Colorado State Colorado game, the press conference, you should put this on your on a clip on Twitter afterwards because I think it's perfect. It's right up your alley. Where uh, Shador Sanders, uh, Dion's son, who's the quarterback for the University of Colorado, and his son Shiloh uh, plays D back for Colorado as well. They were joking at the press conference and said, "You know this is entertainment, right? 
And then they were basically saying, we had to kind of keep it close, you know, so, you know, people were interested. And they were saying all this stuff, you know, just like in a joking way. But it's the same kind of stuff that Andre Iguodala was doing. And I watched that Gills Arena podcast, too, um, because I subscribed to them. And Evan Turner, they were saying the same type of things. Like, it's the same language. Basically, they're admitting that this is entertainment. And they just want the games to be as close as possible. But the active players are saying this stuff. Well, because I don't think they're they're ignorant to that fact. I mean, I think, you know, especially in the NBA, it seems like they're really cognizant that certain players get the calls and certain teams in certain situations get the calls. And, like, you can't – if you were going to play, you know, Team X, who's really favored by the league for whatever reason, you know, whether they have LeBron or they used to have Kobe or Michael Jordan or whatever – that you had to win by, you know, like basically 25 points to win by five because the refs were going to do everything they possibly could to, you know, give that other team or that other player an advantage over you. And they realize it because, you know, again, they're not stupid. They realize that, you know, certain players are marquee players and they got all the eyes are on them and everybody's talking about them. I mean, that's why I think the Jets really are going to be hurting without Aaron Rodgers because, he was the story. He was a major story that I think the league was going to run with and him blowing out his Achilles like that, you know, probably actually ran some people crazy up in the NFL headquarters because they didn't, they didn't know what they were going to do now because they didn't have him on the jets and they completely lost that storyline for the season. But like I say, I don't think the players are, are ignorant of this. I think players in every league realize that, you know, certain things are done by the officials that, you know, okay, yeah, it's a judgment call. It's a subjective call, but why does it always favor this team? Why does it always favor that player? And I think they catch on and they realize, oh, because, well, that's what the league wants. That's what television wants. That's what they're hyping. So that's what we're going to give them. And that's what the fans want to see. So, I mean, I know there's plenty of people like during the Patriots big, you know, dynasty that loved Tom Brady and were Patriot fans or whatever. And there was a certain amount that hated him but they would both tune in for the same reason. They either wanted to see the Patriots win or they wanted to see the Patriots lose, but either way that made it must see TV. And so that's what, you know, made it entertaining. So if the breaks even still were going Tom Brady's way every time, the fans that hated him almost continued to watch because of that. They wanted to see him fall and they were willing to, you know, live through those bad calls because that kind of fueled the fire, but it kept them watching. And so I think it takes a lot to really get certain fans to tune out because they are so engaged in it, so consumed by it that they will watch regardless of being, these games being manipulated in front of their face. But at the end of the day, it is just entertainment. Mm-hmm. That emotional base is still there regardless. Yeah. So they get in their fix anyway. Um, this was, I think this was subsequent to your um, book, The Fix is Still In, which is a sequel to The Fix is In, uh, the NCAA versus Austin 2021 decision, we know what that did. That allowed um, this whole idea of the NIL. And I deliberately didn't research it a ton on purpose, just like over the years, because when it first started happening, I thought it was just too much of a hot topic. And I'm just, I tend not to be so interested in just like fresh, hot topic type things because I feel like there's a bunch of other stuff going on in the scenes that's probably more important. But now that we're in this reality of what is called NIL, can you explain to the audience what NIL is and what is your personal view about NIL? 
Well, NIL is basically, it allows college athletes to sell either what they call their name, image, or likeness, which is the N, the I, and the L, name, image, and likeness. It basically allows college players to advertise themselves, to be paid for, you know, whether to put their names on T-shirts or on jerseys or to do advertisements or what have you. It allows them to actually make money off of themselves. You know, not necessarily the team. They can't say, you know, I'm the quarterback for the University of Michigan or I'm the, you know, star basketball player for North Dakota or whatever, but they can sell themselves and profit off of that, which I really have no problem with because let's be honest, college athletes for literally a hundred years have been being paid under the table. <laughs> I mean, and I think for anybody to deny that is insane. I mean, it's been happening, whether it's being boosters or again, it's, you know, shady deals on the side or what have you these kids outside of the, you know, scholarships that they're getting, they've been getting paid under the table forever. So I think to be able to do it above the board is a good thing. The only problem I think that comes out of it is obviously some kids are making a lot of money. Some kids are making no money. And then you start going into like, you know, the Deion Sanders era where it's okay. Now we're going to start paying Deion Sanders kids. Well, if we're giving them all this money, well, maybe, people are really interested in the Sanders. Maybe they're really interested in Colorado. Maybe we start giving them a few beneficial calls. Maybe we start helping the team out. Maybe, you know, that goes into our advertising and that's why these teams are doing better than other teams. Who's to say, but I mean, I think it's something that you can't, you know, rule out because again, at the professional level, I believe for certain, this sort of thing is happening. Certain teams become storylines, they become interested and then they get help. And they get just a little help here and there by officials or what have you. And that propels the story lying longer than it should be. This Colorado thing might be the same thing. I mean, suddenly, I mean, De- I mean, I understand why Deion Sanders was on 60 minutes. I guess he was on last night, which had to be recorded before the season started. He was on, been they, on twice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what do they know about him? I mean, why is this such a big story that it has to be on 60 minutes and the team is succeeding at the same time. I mean, would it still have been a story had they lost every game they've played this year? I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's certain things like that. It's like, well, how did they know that? <laughs> how are they that predictive to know that this is how they were going to be and how good they were going to be? That it made it worthwhile to be on sixty minutes. And so, I mean, those the name, image, and likeness thing. Like I say, I think overall is a good thing because I don't think those kids should have been relegated to the point where. You know, they can't hold jobs if they get, you know, $50 selling something on the side. You know, they get basically kicked out of the NCAA because of this, that, or some other violation. So it's better to have it above the board. But it still doesn't mean that the under the table stuff still isn't going on, that boosters still aren't paying kids to come to certain colleges or that there's some recruiting violations or whatever. Just, just recently, I forget what team it was. Some team banned themselves because of some sort of recruiting violation, um, I think, in college football. And even Harbaugh sitting out in the University of Michigan for something similar. So, I mean, it doesn't mean it still doesn't happen. I think it's just a, a step in the right direction. But for me, in all honesty, I, I don't believe college sports should exist. I think they should be banished. Ended. There's no, we're the only country, I don't know if anybody knows this, we're the only country in the world that has a college athletic program. No other, wow. no other nation has such a thing. I mean, like soccer is a huge thing in, like, in the United Kingdom. They don't have college soccer. What they have is they have like a under 17 or like an under 21 league or both that players who are interested in pursuing like professional career in soccer can join those leagues and play. 
but they're not like playing for the University of Cambridge or something like that. So, I mean, we're the only country in the world that has such a program and especially to such a degree um, that exists. But again, you can't get rid of it because there's billions of dollars at stake, but it should be, it should be eliminated. And then you would eliminate all of these problems and colleges could go back to being just, you know, places for academia and not sports. That's a very um, astute point you made because um, being at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, luckily I got out of that. Yeah. Um, I called the Orange Prison the books. I mean, and I got my PhD at the University of Tennessee. I know some of my audience knows that. But when I was on campus, it was pretty much Neyland Stadium, and it's like everybody else. And you felt it. Like, at least... As, at least I did, like, being in the arts, you know, being a literature specialist, you already, like, I love sports, but I felt also very disconnected from, like, that aspect of it, because you have all these people going, it's like, we're going to football games, but isn't this supposed to be, like, a learning center? I don't know. It, it's really confusing when you're in it. It just doesn't make any sense, like, the hype around it. But I guess from the outside looking in, it's like, okay, you know, the football program is a huge program, which runs all the other programs. But it, it's pretty stressful, I guess, when you're a student in the mix of it. Like, it can be tough because this is getting all the attention, and it's like you're just sprinkled there on campus. <laughs> well, and I remember – I was just saying, I remember I, I spoke at Florida State University, I forgot, like eight years ago or something like that. And when I was there, they showed me where the Florida State football team – where they stayed like their dorms their um cafeteria there and they had a completely separate thing from the rest of the students and it was all way nicer <laughs> they had better food they had better you know like gym equipment i mean they had better everything just for those football players and it was like the regular students couldn't really even access it mm -hmm. i mean i guess they were theoretically they were like allowed to because it was still like part of their, you know, experience, the college experience, part of the campus. But at the same time, it was like known, you don't go there if you're not a football player. Mm -hmm. You stay out. And I mean, that's not right. I mean, why, you know, if you're paying the same tuition and you get like the same like meal card, why do the, you know, the football players get to eat, you know, like steak and lobster and everybody else is eating ham sandwiches. I mean, it's just not, it's just not right, but that's the way it was. Yeah, definitely. But I was thinking about something you just said too there about um you talked about the boosting and i was thinking well wouldn't this change people's perceptions about previous infractions i think about the reggie bush heisman men stripped away i think about the usc vacation of their title i think about the smu death penalty with craig james and eric dickerson hall of famer yeah. eric dickerson um do you ever foresee the NCAA reversing anything like that or going retrospectively and looking at something like that and maybe changing something um, as a result of student athletes? And again, we're talking about star athletes. And you said that yourself, Reggie Bush, superstar. Um, you know, Matt Leiner, I think they won back-to-back -back Heismans at USC. And then you have people like Eric Dickerson, you know, first-rounders and Craig James. Do, do you think that these things are going to be looked at differently? Not necessarily, because I think part of it is, is they always, the NCAA always acts retroactively. And it's always usually incredibly retroactively. Like, you know, how long, how long after Reggie Bush won the Heisman did he like give it back? 
been like 10 years or something like that. I mean, it wasn't like two years later. It was like a long time. I don't even remember how long. Mm-hmm. And by then, it's like, who cares? He won. <laughs> you know, it's like when they say, you know, this team had to vacate these titles because they had all these, you know, recruiting violations. But they won. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they already sold the T-shirts. They already sold the championship hats. They already had the parade. They already had the, you know, trophy. Five years later, who cares? You know, it's the if you did it the day of, maybe it would matter. But when you do it five, ten years down the line, who cares? I mean, it's just a matter of them changing what you type in the record book, I guess. But at the same time, you know, everybody knows Reggie Bush won the Heisman. <laughs> you know, even though he gave it back, vacated it, I don't know who came in second and then theoretically won it after he vacated it. But we all know Reggie Bush won. So what does it matter? And same with a lot of the teams, like I say, that had to vacate titles or vacate wins. It's way too late. It's not really even a punishment. I mean, yeah, okay, maybe they got to bring down the banner from the ceiling. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, you know, does it stop anyone from showing up for next week's game? No. I mean, so it, I don't, you know, the NCAA's punishments seem ridiculous to me because I don't, I don't know what that does, does for anybody. Because like you say, it's like, it's too late. You I know, mean, the 2016 Astros is like, I don't see that title being taken away. No, exactly. Know? But then you have, but then you have the baseball situation. And I think a lot of our viewers from the previous episode that we did on 29, a lot of people were talking about MLB. And I was kind of, um, I was making the point about the steroid era versus the non-steroid era. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Oh. I mean, because that, that juice is in the Hall of Fame. So, but then you have people who aren't even a part of baseball that have the, the most hits of any other player in the sport. And like someone was saying, can you name any sport where the person who has the most home runs, hits the most balls, isn't in their Hall of Fame? I mean, they got murders in the NFL Hall of Fame. True. But it, it, I, I don't understand how the politicking works with these different bodies. No, well, the one thing I learned actually, because I actually donated something to the Baseball Hall of Fame a long time ago um, that my dad had. Um, so I kind of got, you know, a tour of the place and whatever. And then I'm a lifetime member of the Baseball Hall of Fame now because I made a donation, got plaque and everything. Awesome. But um, I, I, the Baseball Hall of Fame is actually not affiliated with Major League Baseball. They're not, Major League Baseball doesn't own the Baseball Hall of Fame. The Baseball Hall of Fame is its own separate entity. So the Baseball Hall of Fame basically, Again, they can do what they want. So if they, if, you know, if Major League Baseball came back and said, okay, you know, we're forgiving Pete Rose, we're forgiving Barry Bonds, you know, we're completely forgive and forget what you guys did in the past, the Baseball Hall of Fame can still say, we don't care. We're the Baseball Hall of Fame. We don't want those guys in. So we're not putting those guys in. So, I mean, they, I mean, they work together with Major League Baseball, but they are two separate things. Mm. So they can do that. And it is interesting, though, but I mean, it's odd that, you know, baseball seems to have had these big scandals. You know, they had the Pete Rose thing. They had the whole steroid area. And at the same time, like you say, you know, the NFL, I mean, they know like the Steelers of the 1970s, like their offensive line was like fueled by steroids. Yeah. And that's why they're, they were so good in such a dynasty is because they were doing what a lot of other teams weren't doing. So they were kind of cheating the whole time. And that's what made Terry Bradshaw and Lynn Swan and, you know, Franco Harris and all those guys was because they were kind of cheating and getting away with it. And yet that never came back to haunt them. That never blew up into a big scandal. There never was a big 
scandal in football with steroids. I mean, even Peyton Manning, you know, when he had the whole neck surgery and was out of football, I mean, supposedly his wife got HGH delivered to their house. I, I don't think his wife was taking HGH. I think Peyton <laughs> Manning was. But even that kind of got, you know, blown over and nobody cared. And now he's, you know, on ESPN every Monday night with his Manning cast and what have you. It was all forgotten about. I mean, the NFL has kind of, like you say, even though they've had the people, you know, the domestic violence things like Ray Rice where he was caught, you know, knocking the girl out on, you know, the elevator camera. And they've had, you know, Ray Lewis and his association with that potential murder thing. Um, you know, they've, yeah, I mean, they've let a lot of, They've had their little scandals, but they've never had something blow up like baseball has. And same with the NBA. The NBA, even though, like I said, I think Michael Jordan was definitely kind of suspended for gambling when he first retired. They've allowed a lot of things have been able, they've been able to smooth out with their players somehow and not have a blow up besides the Tim Donahue thing with baseball, but or basketball, but that was a ref, not a player. But baseball, for some reason, has always had has had the the major scandals that have kind of rocked the game, if you will. And it's funny that it's happened there, but in other sports that's been, they've been able to keep it down. So um, going back to the fix is still in, how do you assess? And you, I guess the way I read it is um, you kept putting student athlete in parentheses. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, in uh, quotations. In quotations, yeah. Yeah, in quotations. <laughs> and so how, how do you um, revisit that term now, or how should people interpret that term, um, even with the new um, changes with the Austin decision made by the Supreme Court? And like, how should people view um, that terminology when someone says a student athlete? Well, because in my opinion, and everybody's got different opinions on this, but in my opinion, the especially the people there for basketball and football, for the most part, are not really student athletes. They're there for athletics. They're not there for the studies. I mean, there are some who definitely, I'm sure, take advantage of that. They've been given a full-ride scholarship, and so they play football or they play basketball, but they know they have no hope of making the pros, so they'll actually you know, commit themselves to studying and get a degree and you know, pursue what they really want to pursue. But I think there's a vast majority of them, especially at certain colleges, you know, like the Alabamas or the football world or you know, North Carolina, the college basketball world, where the guys who are there to play football, there to play basketball, are there just to play football and just to play basketball. And their academics are useless, pointless. They have fake classes. They have tutors who do stuff for them. I mean, it's just, it's a joke. So to call, to refer them to them as student athletes is ridiculous because, I mean, yeah, technically they're students, but they're really the athletes and that's what it boils down to. That's why they're there. Okay, so this is a major topic as far as the college football playoff is concerned because I refuse to watch college football much lately until they get like a real football system in because as far as I'm concerned right now, it's just an invitational. It used yeah. to be the Alabama invitational with three other teams and use it two out of the SEC, two out of the Big Ten, the same predictable Ohio State, Michigan – you throw Clemson in the mix from the ACC. But um, before I ask the question, I had just an observation. I don't know if you noticed this observation, but the tone of the writers and the journalists, these so-called journalists on television is changing a lot around the Pac-12 leaving, dissolving in college football. But I think it's crazy because, honestly, they were shitting on the Pac-12 for years. 
And I don't know if that's because the East Coast bias or what, because the games are just played so late at night and they'd always put their attention on the East Coast games. But um, now the Pac-12 is getting all this over-the-top love, it seems like. They're going out in a bang, the Pac-12 this, the Pac-12 that. And then you add Deion Sanders in the mix. Do you think that that's kind of um, like what is behind that? Have you noticed that shift in the narrative that the SEC is a lot weaker this year and the Pac-12 is going out in a bang? No, actually, I don't pay attention to college sports <laughs> <laughs> that much. I mean, I hear, I hear about them and I listen to them and stuff. But, I, you know, I've always I've never been a college fan, even as a kid. And like I say, as I've gotten into this, I find the college game so I mean, I I don't think professional sports are legit, but I find college sports so corrupt on so many levels that it just was a total turnoff for me. I mean, because I just think, especially with, with the student athletes, student athletes not getting paid, where was all this money going? And it was all going to the people who, you know, the directors and the coaches and what have you. And when you know that, like, I forgot what the stat was, but something like 46 out of the 50 states the highest paid state employee is a college basketball or football coach. I just find that insane. I mean, you're telling me that my tax money is, you know, I got to pay the university of Wisconsin's head coach, you know, $5 million a year. Why? I don't care if the football team exists. It does nothing for me, you know? I, so why do I have to pay this money for it? So, I mean, the whole college game, just like I, said, I have no interest in paying attention to it or following it. Cause I just find it corrupt and unnecessary. But it, I think when you're talking about like certain things like that, when you have that kind of narrative where sports writers and I mean, they're not even I, they're not really journalists anymore. They're just literally sports writers. Mm-hmm. I, I have a feeling that that's that's kind of one of those things that's being internally pushed that, you know, it's it's everybody's kind of given a directive like, hey, we're going to hype this, ignore that or downplay this and, you know, upplay that. And I think that might be the sort of thing that's happening, what you're referring to, where you're saying that the SEC isn't that good this year or whatever, and that you got to pay attention to the Pac-12. That could be something that's really being internally pushed, be it or by Fox or CBS or whoever, you know, who owns those broadcast rights that we want that narrative out there because that's going to help us do this and help us do that, and that's where the money's going to come from. And so I wouldn't be surprised if that's what it really boils down to is that it's some, basically some sort of editorial idea that somebody came up with and everybody's running with it. Because you got to remember too, you know, when you pay like, you know, was it ESPN pays the NBA something like a billion dollars a year to broadcast their games, they're not no longer two separate things. There's not ESPN and the NBA. They're like this now. And so the NBA is going to tell the ESPN, hey, we're going to try to do this. And ESPN says, hey, we want to kind of hype that. And you know, they're very symbiotic then at that point because the ESPN doesn't want to then investigate the NBA and say, oh, the NBA is incredibly corrupt because we're giving them a billion dollars a year. We're not going to destroy that investment. So that's what happens is they become like this. And it's the same in college football. I mean, because what is it? NBC has the rights to Notre Dame's games, right? Mm -hmm. So they're making a ton of money on that. So they're going to do, they're going to protect Notre Dame in a football program with all their might because there's too much money involved. So that's what it boils down to is, I mean, and that's what I think you, like you say, you see happening with the, you know, what you're talking about in college football is that there's something internally going on probably with the broadcast rights. That's what matters. 
I, I definitely got this interpretation based on reading your book because of the Pac-12 network would normally be the only way you would see an Oregon does game or any of these games in the Pac-12. But and they've trashed the Pac-12 for years. But like I said, now with them with the conference dissolving completely, it gives the Pac-12 that used to be the Pac-12. Those teams get more attention now, and it probably has something to do with TV revenue and mm -hmm. a TV contract because those teams that are distant now are all part of the same gumbo. Yeah. And so everyone gets to benefit from it. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, that's what it boils down to. Same thing with college, you know, football games. They don't, they play them for free, but they don't play them for free. Really. It's really about money. And so it's just a question of who's going to profit and how off of it. And so, yeah, I think the broadcast rights have a big, big to do with how these things are promoted and hyped and the agendas behind it all. What do you make with these implementations of the new NBA season coming up, the 2023-2024 season, with this flopping rule? Um, there's um, a load manage management rule, and then there's all these uh, mid-season tournament. This, to me, this is over the top, even for the NBA. I mean, all these significant changes this year. Like, why do you think that is? I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, it... it... It almost reeks of desperation in a way, but it, cause I mean, nobody, for whatever reason, nobody can catch the NFL in television rights. Right. I mean, the NFL is the most watched TV show there is. It's amazing, but it's true. I mean, it really is <laughs> the most watched television program out there and the NBA. I mean, it's interesting because they've done, I've seen studies where it says that like supposedly the interest of the NFL, especially young, younger, the younger generation has really waned really the popularity is more in the people who are, you know, 30, 40 years and older. And the NBA's real interest is in a lot of younger generation teenagers and people in their 20s. But their ratings are still terrible. And it's something that I think the NBA is concerned about. So I think that's why almost like Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball implemented, you know, the new pitch count or pitch timer to speed up games. You know, they had extra innings. They started a guy on second base. They did those sort of things. And even the NHL, if you go back even earlier when the NHL came out of the lockout, which was about 10 years ago or whatever, you know, they kind of changed the rules up to speed the game up, make it more high scoring. And I think that's the NBA has reached that point of, like I say, I almost want to say desperation. They're like, we got to try something because what we have apparently isn't interesting enough people to make our, you know, ends meet, although they're still making you know, five, $6 billion a year. They got to, they're trying to do something to shake it all up to generate more interest because the fans are there. They're younger, but they got to try to somehow figure out how to tap into them to get them to watch. So I don't know why they have so many young fans, but none of them are watching at the same time. It's <laughs> counterintuitive, but I guess that's, that's where they're sitting. So yeah, I think they're just, they're trying to figure something out. I mean, the flopping thing. And what was the other one you said? The uh, flopping and then also the load management. The, the load management rule, basically. Yeah, the load management one, I think, is the funniest one because, you know, <laughs> it's like, really, you can't bench certain guys at certain games because they're tired. I mean, really? It's, you have to put a rule in for that sort of thing, but it's the way it is. Because, again, it goes back to the entertainment. You know, people, there's that big to-do, God, it was a while ago. I think it was with the Spurs where they they were playing some, supposedly it was going to be a marquee matchup against some other franchise. And I'm pretty sure it was the Spurs. And they breasted like, half their team, like Tim Duncan didn't play. 
yeah. um, and a couple other stars, and like everybody flipped out. It's like, well, this was supposed to be a big game, and people were paying extra for the tickets because they wanted to see this big matchup. And then you bench these guys, and the coach was like, hey, they were tired. <laughs> I didn't think it was that big of a game to us. So, yeah. But and that became a to do, and it's become a to do ever since then. So I think that's yeah. Now they have to institute a rule against it for some strange reason. Keyshawn Johnson from Undisputed, who's on there with Skip Bayless and Michael Irvin's now on the team. Now he made an interesting point and said that when fans are going to pay their money to see these spectacles, if a player that's supposed to play doesn't play, like a LeBron or a Steph. Why don't they set something up to where they can just get autographs or something? Like they can have like an autograph session and set because they were under the pretense that they were going to play, but well, you could at least get like an autograph from them or something. I don't know. I, I think he's nuts. I think he's talking about <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Because I mean, one of the things it goes back to the whole, you know, there was this lawsuit, which I don't remember if we talked about it or not, but. When the whole Spygate thing happened in the NFL, a Jets fan who happened to be a lawyer sued the Patriots and sued the league over the whole Spygate thing. And the end result was he lost. Go figure. And um, But basically what the the um, judges ruled, and it went to like the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. I mean, it went pretty high up. But they basically ruled, they said, look, when you buy a ticket to an NFL game in the case of the Spygate thing, uh, all it does is basically guarantee you the privilege of seeing a football game. So as long as the NFL puts on some faction of a football game and they don't come out and play basketball or come out and have a boxing match, they fulfilled their obligation. So the NFL does not have to, when they put on a football game, it doesn't mean certain rules have to be applied. Certain rules have to be followed. doesn't mean one team can't cheat. doesn't mean the game can't be fixed. And it doesn't mean certain players have to play or even perform up to their natural abilities. It just means they have to put on a football game. They did that. That's that's what you deal with as a fan. That's all you're obligated to. That's why if the team wanted to fix its own game, it's not illegal, because the court basically told you it's not. All they have to do is put on a football game. It doesn't mean rules have to be followed. They just have to play football, and they've satisfied their thing. And that's the same with this. You know, to say that, you know, whatever, LeBron didn't play tonight. Oh, I want my money back. You weren't guaranteed to him playing. And even if he did play, who's to say he didn't play for two minutes? Who's to say he even had to take a shot? You know, it just that's what you that's what you paid for is to see a basketball game. You saw a basketball game. Doesn't mean certain players have to play. I got I tell you, I have one observation before a final question before we go. And um, I know my audience will appreciate your presence. And like, like <laughs> I said, it's good to have um this type of a conversation as opposed to some of the other ones we have. Not that they're not necessary, but it's good to have a change of pace sometimes because we talk about some pretty serious things on here. So it is good to be able to talk, relax a little bit, and enjoy and talk about something like sports. Not the end of the world. Is that the end of the world? (laughs) And I think it is very much escapist in nature. I think it is, honestly. Um, But some people need that escape. And and you do have the right to enjoy yourself and and have your diversions and stuff. So... um, the forum doesn't want to discourage people to have fun, but just to be more conscious of the world around you too, you know, at the same time. But I was thinking about the the documentary that they did on Bird and Magic about how they created this storyline between the two boys from the Midwest, one's black and one's white, 
Um, they came in the same year. They competed against each other in college. I mean, they have so many parallels, you know, just. Yeah. And then you had um, this undertone that I think that the league, the NBA, especially on the Stern, I think Stern was kind of the mastermind behind marketing his players. And um, realized that he had this black versus white superstar type dynamic. And I really believe that's kind of what's happening with Dion personally, because we all know that he came from Jackson State, and they say that all the time. And now they're at Colorado. But he he's I think they've struck gold with Dion, literally struck gold, and their colors are gold and black, which I think is funny because um he gets all this attention because of who he is. He's a Hall of Famer, played multiple sports. But I think it's also the black coach narrative too is also something that they won't just say out just like outright. But I think people know behind the scenes if this was anybody else, not named Deion Sanders, he wouldn't be on 60 Minutes twice. No. I mean, none of this stuff would be talked about at all. I mean, they made a big deal about the Colorado State coach being black and them having like an exchange of words. That stuff happens all the time. It literally happens all the time. Oh, yeah. No, I think you're right, unfortunately. I mean, I think if it was – you know, if Dan Marino was the coach of Colorado, <laughs> nobody care. <laughs> you know, I, I I do think you're right. I, unfortunately, I mean, I I think that's a that plays a big role in it. I mean, and it shouldn't. It shouldn't matter one way or the other. Um, but I think you're right. I think even if they don't verbalize it, it's implied, and I think it's in certain cases it's heavily applied. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shouldn't, like you say, it shouldn't be necessary. It shouldn't even factor into what's going on. But yeah, I mean, otherwise, why would Deion Sanders be getting such attention, you know? And I mean, I know he's got a mouth, but there's a lot of guys who have mouths. I mean, there's a lot of guys who talk a lot of crap and a lot of guys who say a lot of things. But yeah, why he gets, why he's, again, I don't know why he gets the special attention and you might have hit it right on the head as to why, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's how many college football teams are out there. There's a lot of stories out there. Why is this one such a huge one? and one being forced upon everybody on 60 Minutes. I, I don't know. It, and I know to Saban, and that's one of the reasons I like Dion. I kind of like Nick Saban. I, I want him to retire, though, because I get tired <laughs> of my Alabama all the damn time. But um, that kind of made me lose college football interest there. This SEC, and I live in the SEC, but I hate hearing about Alabama all the time. And I'm not a UT fan, but it's just everything's about Alabama. But Saban, I feel like he had that special treatment, too, for a while, especially when he would try to lobby to say that his team deserved to be in the playoff. They would Anybody else would not be allowed to be on the set of cause game day, but Nick Saban, and he just randomly comes there, and they give him like a 10-minute monologue to say, make a case to why you deserve to be in the playoff. Yeah. I'm like, who else gets that kind of treatment? Well, I but think it's, like a statement. Well, that's what I think it was is I mean, he he, for whatever reason, they became such like a dynasty that it it put him on an upper level. I mean, it was like you know Belichick and the Patriots. I mean, they still talk about him like he's you know the greatest thing that ever happened to coaching and football, and they seem to forget when he coached the head coach of the Browns, they were terrible. And now <laughs> yeah. that Tom Brady's gone, they're not that good either, and yet. During the whole Tom Brady time, they had that whole Spygate thing that kind of 
somehow got you know washed out of existence despite the fact that hey, maybe that won them a couple of Super Bowls too. Uh, yeah, so certain guys, you know, they've given them, they put them on the pedestal for whatever reason and then let them kind of freewheel. But I think it's also, like you say, with the Alabama thing, it's because it's the same thing, I think, with the Patriots. It's a love-hate. There's a lot of people who love Alabama because they're such a powerhouse football program, and there's a lot of people who hate them for the exact same reason. And so, you know, you give them a little extra screen time because it's going to make people watch because I hate them or people watch because I love them just to see what he has to say, whether it's boring or not, because he's terrible on those commercials. God, he's bad in those commercials. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they were projecting with Dion because what's the chance of him and Saban Ben and Affleck commercials together? You know, it's just There's that too, yeah. It's Maybe true. they were already preparing us for priming us for prime time. I don't Maybe. know. Maybe. Could be. <laughs> My attempt at a, a corny joke. Hey, you either like it or you don't. I don't care if you like it or not, audience. But um, my final question is more so towards the marketability of these NBA players. And um, you have now an international emphasis now on the league. I've seen this more and more happening. Just so much of a focus on the, the internationalization of the NBA. And due to the NBA due to the team losing this past FIBA tournament, LeBron's talking about he may suit up again for Team USA. What do you think about um, the marketability of these players like a Giannis, a, a Nikola Jokic, or um, Embiid? Is, what, what is the appeal to these players? And what is the NBA? What do you think they're going to do with them? And how relevant will these players be five years from now? Well, that's tough to say. I mean, I, I understand why the NBA is trying to go international because it is one of the few sports like football is really just an American thing. And they really have a hard time trying to, I mean, I know it's gained popularity in Mexico a little bit in Europe, but I mean, it's still just really an American, maybe Canadian too, to an extent thing. Uh, the NBA with basketball, I mean, that is really a world sport. I mean, we have America dominated for a really long time, but now, as you see, like you say, with this recent tournament that you know, other countries have easily caught up because, you know, that's the great thing about basketball is all you need is a basket and a hoop. You know, if you get the ball in the hoop, that's all you need. You can play it anywhere, any country. And it's just why, you know, soccer is such a big worldwide sport is all you need is a goal in the ball and the same thing. Off you go, you can play soccer. So, I mean, I think the world's caught up to us with basketball and that's one of the reasons why the NBA wants to expand and has such a focus like on China and, you know, Europe and that sort of thing. Cause they can't, they do have the ability to expand well outside of our borders where football is having a real hard time to do that sort of thing. As for the marketability of those players, it, it's hard to say. Cause you know, it's like I say, John is cause I live in Wisconsin and he's a big thing here. I don't know how well received he is around the country. I mean, he's a great athlete, but mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't LeBron, whether you like him or hate him, he did kind of have a personality that made him, a thing you know Kobe had the same thing Michael Jordan had the same thing they have to have that kind of inner spark that it factor and I mean you can't create that it just some people have it and some people don't and I think the NBA even you know trying with like Steph Curry I don't know if he really has it and I think they they need that they want that and so I think they keep just throwing guys out there like hey this guy's really good let's see maybe he'll catch on or maybe this guy has a spark or something and they, it's a it's a hard thing to find. And it's not something you can really create. It's just that person has it or they don't. 
And I think that's, I think the NBA's problem is trying to find that next person like that. And like, say they, who's this new, this new kid who's like 18 or whatever to Victor. Oh, um, Wimbyana. Wimbyana. Yeah. You know, I'm sure they're like, Oh, please, please let us let him be that guy. You know, that sort of thing. Cause you know, we just had Zion Williamson just kind of implode and you wound up being nothing. And so I, I, I they, I think they need that because they kind of need a face of the NBA because LeBron can't last forever. And you know, you can't, you can only artificially create that so much. And so I think that's, they're desperate to find somebody on that level that they can hype and be the next, the next guy, the next LeBron, the next Kobe, the next Jordan type of thing, but you can't fabricate it. Does LeBron get the benefit of the 2023 marketability times with the way social media and stuff is? Because he, at this point in his career, gets more attention than Michael Jordan did at the same point of his career. Michael Jordan was still 40 playing basketball, but LeBron still seems pretty relevant in the the midst of things in the NBA. And I'm wondering why that is. Is it because he is still a superstar? Or is it because that factors now, just with so much social media attention, that people are more relevant than they would have been otherwise? Well, I think I think like with LeBron now, I think it's more forced. I think it's more forced into being. You know what I mean? I mean, I think you know because he he, they, he hasn't really been. When's the last time? It's been a few years since they were in the finals. I think with LeBron. Yeah, twenty twenty, um, the Kobe year. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I, like I said, I think it's more ham fisted the way they're doing it now because I like I said, I don't think they have anybody to replace him. Whereas with Jordan. You know, you had Shaq, you had Kobe, you had guys who kind of smoothed out the transition, if you will. And with, you know, LeBron, like you say, to me, it seems like they're struggling to find somebody to fill Mm -hmm. his shoes because I don't think, you know, even though there are some big names out there and some really good athletes, they don't have that spark that, you know, the NBA can hitch its wagon to. Brian, I tell you, I had a great time. I didn't want to, I think we talked about a lot of things that I wanted to discuss. And I kind of scrapped the whole idea of Big Three <laughs> and the NBA. I think I kind of understand what that infighting is about with Ice Cube promoting yeah. this three-on-three league. And then I think you had Brianna Stewart um, announce that the WNBA is going to create a three-on-three tournament. And I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. They're obviously back and forth um, exchanges. But do you have any final words from our audience? I appreciate this episode 59 and you joining us today, Brian, to it. Oh, I appreciate you having me on again. Um, I, I think that, like I said, the only thing I always do with this is I always tell people, because a lot of people tell them, say, I ruin sports for them because, you know, <laughs> I do. Because I tell you, hey, it's just entertainment. These games can't can be manipulated. They probably are manipulated. But like you were saying earlier is, I understand everybody needs an outlet. Everybody needs a release. Everybody needs some sort of entertainment. And whether it's, you know, you watch the movies or whether you follow the Kardashians or reality TV or sports or whatever, that's fine. I I don't try to stop people from watching sports or from enjoying sports. I just want people to watch them and consume them with an open mind and better understand what exactly it is you're consuming, because that makes a big difference. If you, look at sports the way I want you to look at sports with an open mind and understand that these things can be manipulated and probably are manipulated. 
then I think you start seeing through this and start understanding, oh, this is really what I'm seeing. This is really what I'm watching. This is what I'm spending my money on. Do I really want to waste my time and energy on this? Because now I see it in a different light as what it truly is, as opposed to what they're selling me. And so that's my only goal is just basically have fans take their hat off, their fan hat off and look at it objectively. And then if you still want to be entertained by it, fine. But just know, again, what it is you're consuming. I think that's a, an excellent conclusion. And there's a lot that I'm thinking about just when you <laughs> concluded with that. But uh, that's excellent. I'm going to link your information in the episode description. Um, check out Brian's site. Um, it, it's a wonderful site. And I think people will get um, at least a couple of giggles out of it, at the very least. But um, his books, exactly. very, I think his books are quite informative. They're very insightful. And um, I encourage my listeners to go check out his site. Um, I think it's called the fix is in like net. Yep, exactly. But but I'll link all the the information into the um, episode description so people can go to your site and if they want to purchase autographed versions of your books, they can as well. Yep. Um, again, episode fifty nine has been a pleasure to have Brian Tui on the show. Um, we have at least twenty different guests coming up within the next month, and um, just subscribe. Um, to Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum, especially on our YouTube channel. We're really trying to push that more now. Um, I was pretty silent about it, but even audience members are like, your stuff is too good for you not to be promoting this stuff uh, more. So I'm trying to make an effort to promote it more. And um, Brian, I appreciate you sharing this with your audience. And um, this will release in a few hours as a premiere on YouTube. And so I shared a link with everyone afterwards. Have a great day, beautiful people. And we'll talk soon. Cheers.